Hello, welcome to episode 17 of the Truly Myrtle podcast. I'm Libby and it's lovely to have you here. I've got another great wardrobe stories interview for you today, but first I've got a few things to tell you. This will be the last Truly Myrtle podcast for the year. My kids are on holiday now, they're off for six weeks for the summer, so I'll be taking a bit of a break with them and I'll be back in 2016 with more podcasts and more interviews. Thank you so much for all your messages about a washi dress sew along. It seems that heaps of you want to join in. That's really cool. I'm thinking that we'll aim to make our dresses in mid to late January. And I'll let you know more details closer to the time. In the meantime, just get the pattern and the fabric and the notions you need, which will be sewing thread and elastic. Have a look on the pattern to see what you need and get those things together so that you're ready to roll. And then when we start, I'll walk you through step by step just with hints and tips and tell you what we're doing that day over about a two week period. I thought what I'd do is I'd send you a newsletter prior to starting that will go into your email box just to let you know what we're planning and how it will work and what you'll need. If you're not sure if you've signed up or if you know you have signed up but you haven't received a newsletter yet, go and check your junk folder and if there aren't any newsletters in there, just resubscribe. You can do that at trulymyrtle.com. You just put your email address in and you'll be signed up. If you're already signed up, it'll tell you. I've had a couple of questions. Marie asked about the sewing websites like Ravelry. So there are two new websites out, Marie, that I know of that are similar in feel to Ravelry. They're the Ravelry for the sewing community. The first one that came out was called The Fold Line and the second one was called Textilia. I had had a look at both of them and the fold line seems to be doing pretty well. A lot of people are joining. It's pretty easy to navigate and I do have a um, profile there. But Textilia was the latest one and I it has a real Ravelry feel to it. So if you are keen on Ravelry and you understand how Ravelry works, check out both. But for me, I quite like Textilia. So I'm I'm probably there more often than I am at the fold line, but we'll just see how they go. But those are the two websites, Foldline and Textilia. They both do newsletters and they're on social media, so you can find them all over the place. Now, Lindsay asked me after my last podcast why I would put my yarn in the freezer. I think, Lindsay, there might be moths or bugs or something eating my yarn, and apparently one surefire way to kill them is to put them in the freezer. So apparently you put them in the freezer and they will all disappear. I have heard that the best way to do it is to put them in the freezer for a few days up to a week, then take them out and then put them back in. So I don't know, I'll try anything. But that's what I'm doing. I've got my yarn in the freezer in the hopes that if there are bugs in it, they will all be disposed of in the cold, cold freezer. Fingers crossed. Right, would you like to hear my interview? I really enjoyed chatting with Kathy from Gumtree Gully Alpacas. Kathy breeds alpacas on her farm in Walkworth, which is actually not too far from me here in New Zealand. And you might recognise the name Gumtree Gully because I used her gorgeous yarn for my recent shawl pattern, Pokiha. I used a rich silver DK 100% alpaca that she makes for my new design, and it was so silky soft. It was just delicious. It's quite rustic yarn, and I absolutely loved working with it. Did you know alpaca is actually quite an amazing fibre? It's super soft, it's prickle free and it's hypoallergenic. It's also unusually strong and resilient and it can be reused time and time again because the fibres easily return to their original structure. It's referred to as the fibre of the gods by the Incas. It's pretty cool, huh? 
Kathy has been breeding alpacas and making yarn for a number of years, and I really hope you enjoy her stories as much as I did. Here's Kathy. I'm Kathy from Gumtree Gully Alpacas, and basically we live on a farm in Warkworth, just north of Auckland, and we have about 14 animals at the moment. We got into alpacas back in about 2005. Um, we bought a fairly big property, it was 47 acres, and then we bought a few more acres from the neighbour, so we now have 83. So we thought we'd better put some animals on it. <laughs> we were getting very long grass, um, wasn't interested in sheep, just a little bit too stupid, sorry to the sheep people out there, and um, cows are just a bit too rough on the land, so um, I hate to say it, but I was watching McLeod's Daughters and I saw these animals, which I thought were really, really cool, and we'd seen a few at the A&P shows around and everything, so we started doing a bit of research, and um, we ended up contacting a family down in Ochahonga, the Mansells, who are breeders, and they are also our mill people now, they mill all our fleeces down there. And um, so I did a bunch of courses down there and I met my first alpaca that I ever bought, Jim, who is a lovely old boy. He's, um, police will never go anywhere near processing, but he's personality plus. And um, yes, yeah, so I got to lead him around down at this farm and fell in love with him. And I bought him and a friend and that's where it all started with these two boys, just to um, make sure we didn't kill them. <laughs> and it was see how easy they were to keep. So yeah, that was at 2005 and we still got Jim, he's getting on now. But um, yeah, he's my favourite. It's a sad day when he leaves us. Um, yeah, so we went into breeding, getting females then, buying some females and started breeding. And we were having so much fun breeding that one day we turned around and realised we had 33 alpacas. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Which was, um, it was a lot of work. Um, but I love them. They're intelligent, they're curious very easily halter trained as well. Um, eat a little bit more than a sheep, but not much. So you can keep um, probably about six to an acre safely. You need to be able to rotate your grazing, obviously. Um, they're very, very um, polite and poo in a pile for you, so it's easy enough to pick up. Um, although the bigger your paddock, the more piles they make. <laughs> and I have sort of discovered that the boys are pretty good. They'll just stand in their poo and do another one on top, whereas the girls, I think, don't like to get their feet dirty and they back up to the pile and just make it bigger and bigger slowly if you don't pick the poo up. But um, yeah, we, we love them from the day we got them. I haven't, haven't looked back. They're lovely animals. They're great with the kids. Um, yeah, when we ended up with 33 animals, we also had three human children. <laughs> or in quick succession so it was a lot of work a lot of work on my plates i had twins as well which oh. was a lot of work and during that time we i didn't get outside a lot as you can imagine so we lost a few we had a few problems and um so we decided to downsize for everybody's benefit including the animals so we sold off a few to some farms in Matakana and um, we went down to about 10 and we've just started breeding again this year so we've got two young ones out there at the moment that are about a year old, which is lovely. And um, yeah, so I ended up with a garage full of fleece, if you can imagine. And we, well, my husband said, what are we going to do with all this fleece? <laughs> Gathering in the roof. So I hadn't knitted since I was about 10 or 11, and I had knitted squares then, so I hadn't done a lot of anything. Um, my mum is a fantastic knitter, and I decided it's time to do something. So. These friends in Ochahonga that we started with, Julie and Grant Maxwell, started up a mini mill down there. So we sent a whole batch of police off for processing and I got my first yarn back. And I've been knitting for about three years now and 
I'm still not as clever as you to be, but <laughs> um, loving it, really, really enjoying it. So, uh, yeah. So you didn't start the kind of whole packer journey with a view to milling the fl- milling the fleece. No, not that wasn't the main goal. It was mainly to have some animals that were going to keep the farm, you know, keep the grass down and to enjoy some. I mean, I'm an animal freak. I've, I've always had a million animals in my house ever since I was a kid. Um, always wanted a farm. I had a, um, a great uncle who, my, well, my mum's uncle, that's a great uncle, um, who had a farm over in Australia and used to love going there. So I'd always wanted to live in the country. It was just that's just a part of me I think so we had to have some animals on there and they were they just fit the bill perfectly and yes I was, of course I was aware that we could do stuff with the fleece but it, I hadn't really thought about it we we collected fleece for about three years before I actually started milling it and knitting it yeah <laughs> we're still kind of look down there <laughs> who shares them do you do it yourself we we help we have a um a guy called Mike Banks who has a company called Sharepack who are based in Christchurch and he comes up every year around about October and does a big loop up around the North Island and he's always got a team a couple of young guys with him and he's absolutely amazing you know the animals are, are down and up in about eight minutes the stress is absolutely minimal um, so they're laid some people will put them on a table that flips you can, the table will stand. Um, vertical with a, a gate will open and you can back the animal and shut the gate and then flip them on their side but it's a lot of we found it was a lot of stress on the animals and a lot of toing and froing so what we do with these ones um, we have a plastic sheet down on the on the ground and there's four ropes you attach one rope to each leg and the animals laid down on its side and stretched out and, um, and it's they can't move basically and they, they settle pretty much straight away and um, so they're shorn down one side, rolled over, shorn down the other side, and um, Mike is extremely quick, and his guys know how to hold the alpacas, because obviously you have to hold their heads certain ways, and so they're not hurt. And um, while they're down, we do their toenails, any vaccinations or drenching we need to do, and teeth and all that sort of stuff. So it's all done, you know, in under 10 minutes. And then they're up and out, and I think they love having their fleece off, they feel so much cooler. Yes. So I've heard that they go quite calm when they're laying down. Is that is that just something they do? Yeah, it is. I think once they realise they're down and they can't get up, they just relax. Most of them do. You get the odd one that will sit there and scream its head off. Yeah. They're, they're stretched out fairly tight. It doesn't hurt them at all. Um, and I think just it's best for them once they're estranged, they, they just relax. Which is yeah. Good. But we always have someone with a hand on them just to make sure, you know, if they have a struggle that it's pretty short-lived. Yeah. yeah. And I've heard that they can develop quite a relationship with you. So can you help calm them and sort of talk yeah, to them? And... Yeah, no, they know definitely know my voice and um, definitely know the feedback. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'll call them and they'll all come up running down off the hill. It's really cool to watch. And uh, the more, like with any animal, the more time you spend with it, the more it trusts you and you can build up um, a rapport with them. And with training, you really do need that. So my, my two young babies, I haven't started training yet, which desperately needs doing. So because the bigger they get, the stronger they get. Yeah. So what kind of training do you do? Um, halter, halter training, basically. So they get used to the little halter that you pop on their heads. Um, so it's best, depending how big the animal is, I find I, I need my husband to, to hold them the first time I'm getting a halter on. So you need a small pen. We've got a quite a big stock shed, which my husband built. Um, and we've got smaller yards within that and we can move the gates around to suit whatever purposes. Um, yeah, so once you've got the halter on, they, they tend to freak out a little bit, so you just go with them, you know, you've got a, 
leads about a metre, a metre and a half, and you just go with them and so it's not pulling on their head, and, just, and then they'll settle, they'll realise they're not going to be strangled or murdered or anything. And, um, and then and just a few minutes at a time each day until they get used to it. Some people will halter up the mother and the baby, and then the baby will watch the other and sort of realise it's not that, that much of a big deal. But it doesn't take long. I had a, a girl who was about three or four years old, just fully grown, quite a feisty little thing, and had never been halter trained. It was one I just kept putting off and putting off. It was when the kids were babies. <laughs> I thought, I'll, I'll do that later, I'll do that later. And then I sold her and I thought, well, I have to halter train her. And um, I had to get my husband to hold her to get the halter on. But within three days, she would just stand there and let me pat her. Mm. I, was, I was actually really amazed because I thought she was going to be a problem. But it just goes to show, I think, that she knew me. She knew that I was not a hurter. And, um, yeah, and I just did it within within the group of animals. So they've still got their friends there as well. So they don't think, oh, everyone else is gone. And, I'm freaking out because they like being in a herd, herd animals. Um, I've only ever had one animal who's chucked a major spaz and she's she's always been a little bossy boots and um, I, she was a problem and so I had to get some advice from someone. They said put a, um, a, a bungee strap on the halter once you've got it on and just stand there. She said, I'll try and rip your arms out. And I just stood there and she threw herself all over the floor and carried, screamed and carried on. I just stood there. And eventually she just stood up and went, oh, okay, <laughs> you're not going to hurt me. But what a, what a hassle. <laughs> oh, so they're quite intelligent, aren't they? Oh, yeah. yeah. They learn very quickly. Yeah. And when you say they like being in a group, is that how you keep them in the paddock? Do you keep families together or separate males? Yeah, we have to, yeah, we have to separate the stud males otherwise because they can mate all year round. So the females are induced ovulators. The male makes a, a sound called an orgle. And um, if the females are empty, they're not pregnant, they will sit and they'll hop on top. And that noise that they make um, makes the females release an egg, sends a message to their brain to release the egg. So you can make them all year round, but it's 11 and a half months gestation. So you've got to think about when the babies are going to be born. You don't want, I don't want babies in the middle of winter. Um, so we generally mate from November, December through till April at the latest because they like summer babies. It's nice to see little babies running around in the paddock. But yes, the males will always mate, so we keep them completely separate. And in the main group, we have Jim, my first boy, who's a weather. He's been neutered. And he looks after all the ladies and the babies. So they stay together. And as the boy babies grow up, then they have to go with the, you know, to the boys' group. But um, we have one black stud called Giacomo, who's an absolute honey for me. But he will try and kill any other male alpaca, so he's on his own. <laughs> Great. So they they have a pecking order, do they, within their Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So that, um, that female I told you about who threw herself all over the ground, she's kind of a head honcho now. Um, she When she was a baby, she used to sit in my lap. She was She's always been so confident, no fear in that one at all. So she used to sit in my lap, and I thought it was very cute. And uh, one day, a breeder said, shook her head and said to me, oh, no, no, no. I was like, why not? And she said, she's going to grow up to a 65, 70 kilo animal and she's going to try and jump on you. And I was naughty and didn't believe her. And I was walking along one day when she was full grown. Sure enough, she just about knocked me flat because she wanted to play. And, um, yeah, so I ended up having to tell her that was no longer on. So I had to show her off every time. And now she sort of keeps her distance. But, um, yeah, it's very confident. Um, and, yeah, so she and her daughter is the same. Her daughter's come through with the same personality, very bolshy and, and out there. <laughs> 
Wow, so real personalities to them, aren't there? Oh, totally, yeah. I mean, people say, how do you tell them apart? But every face is different to me. You know, it's, it is hard sometimes when they're fully fleeced and then you shear them off. That's when I sort of got to go, ooh, you know, it's a bit hard to tell who's who. But their faces are, are all different. They've all got names. I know who they are and, um, yeah, very different personalities. So I've got yeah. some lovely, quiet little ones who are just sweet as sweet. And then you've got Breezy who just loves to tell you who's the boss. <laughs> and tell me, so there are two different kinds of alpaca, aren't there? They're... There is. Yeah, there's wakayas, which is what I have, and their fleece grows at um, 90 degree angles out from the skin like a merino, like a sheep. And then you have the suri alpacas, and there's only about sort of, they're about 90% wakayas to 10% suris in the world. So the suris have um, long pencil thin dreadlock type things that hang from their body, and they look amazing. When they run, it all just swings around, it's just stunning. Um, and they're quite lustrous, their fleeces. They're quite different from the, the wakaya. So um, we actually have one little Suri here, a boy who's entire. I've just rescued three um, alpacas out of a suburban blockhouse bay section. They were sold by a very unscrupulous breeder and um, they were left on the, it's just a house section, it would have been a quarter acre tops, probably a bit less. Um, and these people decided to go back to their home country for six months and leave the alpacas there. Um, one, one did die, there was four of them, and then the neighbour lady, who was an absolute gem, broke down part of the fence and got the animals through and onto her other neighbour who had one acre grazing. So that's how they survived. She basically, she fed them the right food, she had them shorn, she had the vet in, she kept all her money on them. And, um, but that section, being in the middle of Blockhouse Bay, was going to be built on, so she was desperate for a home. So we've taken these on. There was one female and two entire males. So the little black Suri, which um, I'm going to keep. None of them are registered, which is useless. You know, I can't register any babies from them. But we will keep the little black boy, and I'll probably um, neuter whether the white boy and pass him on to someone as a pet. And the white girl, um, she's quite nice. I'm hoping to be able to register her, get some details, but we'll see what I can dig up. But um, yeah, mm. some people just they're out there for the money. Mm, that's it's a one, shame. It is, yeah, and it's it's just no excuse whatsoever because mm. that man knew exactly what he was delivering them into mm. and you know, the, the place was full of poisonous plants and things like that how they didn't eat those because they're quite curious they'll try new things you know and if they run out of food they'll eat anything oh that's dangerous then yeah, yeah. so what's registering talk to me about registering registering so when you've um when you have a, a baby that's born you uh register it with the aanz the Alpaca Association of New Zealand and you have to fill out a form basically that says who the mother is and the father and they will have what they call an IAR number so that's their registry number and so through that IAR number you've got all the genetics that go back and where they come from so you know exactly where the babies come from and all of the history of it basically you cannot register a CREA, a CREA is a baby alpaca um, unless the parents are registered so, so any breeding I do from these other animals, if they're not registered, they'll just be pets and police animals basically. I won't be able to ask them on, but um, <clears throat> I've got two medium brown girls who I'll probably put this little black boy over. I'll put him over them because my black um, my black stud boy is their father, so we cannot do that. <laughs> it's not right. <laughs> so I might just I might just do it once for fun and see what comes out. Because <laughs> I, you know, I haven't had a surrey before, so it'll be good. <laughs> yeah, that would be really interesting. So yeah. you've got a, you've got quite a lot of colours in your 
And you I do, yeah. Are they a, my... What are they called? A flock or a... A herd. A, a, a herd. herd. There yeah. we go. <laughs> Sorry, but that's wings on this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's true. Oh, dear. Um, yeah, so you talked uh, to me about... Yeah, tell me about the colours. Yeah, so we've got mainly white. Um, people... Whites have always been mainly red, and um, for that reason, they've got the finest micron, which is the, the softness of the fleece, um, because people have put more work into the whites, just for the versatility, being able to dye it, etc. Um, yeah, so mainly whites we've got two, well now three blacks or, or bay blacks, I've got a touch of brown, a couple of medium browns, yeah, so, and, and we're just starting to breed again, like I said, so we'll, we'll get more in there, but I'm actually concentrating a little bit more on the whites now, because I love my dyeing so much, <laughs> really enjoying that, so, um, but yeah, we, no, we still get people wanting um, wanting the greys and the fawns and, and the natural wool, like yourself, I think you quite like the I do. I love the natural colours, and the one I used for the um, pokeha shawl yeah. is a real silver. It's beautiful. Yeah, it is beautiful. I've got to get more of that. I think I've got two hanks left of that, but they're different batches, and they're ever so slightly different. But yeah. because I don't have grey animals, grey alpacas aren't overly common. Um, I at the mill they blend black and white for me, so I can kind of get a range of the grey or silver. You can get a really light grey and go right through to dark steel grey. Mm. So, um, yeah, so I, it would be nice one day to have a, a grey, but um, we will see. <laughs> ah, yeah, because there's about there's lots of different colours, aren't there? I've, I read some, it might have been on your website, there were 38 different colours of alpaca. Yeah, 22. 22. Oh, 22. Yeah, so they range, obviously, from whites through to different fawns and browns and greys, you know, bay black and jet black, basically. So um, our black stud boys are a jet black. He came from Australia and he's just gorgeous. Apart from the fact he likes to kill other alpacas, <laughs> he's, he's an absolute darling for me. I can scratch his head and have a mush with him. But, um, yeah, he's lovely. He's beautiful. There's quite a few alpaca breeders in New Zealand now. I, they seem, I've got a few around me. Is yep. New Zealand an ideal place for them to breed, or what, what's brought um, this on? Well, well, we've been going, oh, it must be about 25 years here now. So there's, there's a a bunch of really big studs that have one to two hundred animals. The, the South Island have got a couple of really big ones and they're big commercial enterprises. Um, there's a couple up here, up south quite for Hedge, um, that are quite big. And I think south is better for them because it's not so humid. When, As we come into this humid weather now, we've got to watch facial eczema. So it's, um, when you get the, the leaf cover on the ground and you get the spores coming through. Alpacas, they but in general, they're hardy animals, but if they get sick, they get sick fast and they go down fast. So you've got to be really aware of how your animals behave when they're well and how they behave when they're not well. So if you see them sitting a lot and they're not eating and they're hanging they're away from the herd, yeah, there's something wrong. You've got to, be, you've got to keep your eyes on them. That's why I lost a few when my babies were little. Um, yeah, I just wasn't out there enough and didn't realise. And especially if they've got a good fleece on them, you cannot tell how much weight is on that animal. So um, you have to do what they call a body score. So around their wither, around the base of their neck, you need to get your hands on and feel their spine area and, and see how much weight it's on. Because it can look fully fleeced and round and be absolutely scrawny underneath. So facial eczema is our biggest problem up north and um, coming into this humid weather. So it can be combated in a number of ways. Some people put zinc into the water, but it makes the water taste a bit bitter and then they won't drink it. So we don't tend to do a lot of that. The main thing we do is get zinc pellets 
and you can get the, the special alpaca pellets with zinc put into them and you start feeding them out and sort of change them from the, the plain pellets over to the zinc ones and you're only meant to feed them for 100 days so we don't start because um, too much zinc can cause other problems. Um, yeah, so we start those when we need to, not beforehand because you want yeah, so February would be a bit of a prime time, I suppose, yeah, as it's really yeah. hot and yeah. mm, dry. So, so we've got to be careful. Sheep and cows can get facial eczema too, but they're a lot more resistant to it for some reason. The alpaca is a lot quicker and can do a lot more damage to their internal organs. I think we've, you know, judging from, we've had a few die of unknown things, but I think we've probably lost one, maybe two to that a bunch to other things but uh, we're pretty lucky here where our prevailing winds blow onto our hills we're quite hilly here which tends to keep the spores moving and off which is good so but we do we do have to keep an eye on there are a lot of people getting pets now around it's sort of the next fun thing because they're trainable and they've got so much personality and they don't need special fencing or anything people love having them you know, as, as pets and, and things like that so you will see a lot around just small groups, not everybody breeds them, but um, yeah, it's a good fun thing to do, it's pretty easy care. If you've got your farm set up well, if you've got your races and paddocks and your, your yards, they're, they're pretty easy to animals. They're very cute, they're very cute. <laughs> so let's talk a bit more about your yarn that you're making with your fleece. I'm really curious to hear how that process works for you. Right, so obviously we begin at shearing, <laughs> getting that off. Um, we, after shearing, we need to clean the fleeces, and that is my least favourite job in the whole process. <laughs> so we do what we call skirting of the main, the main blanket is the main body of fleece, it comes off the main body of the animal. We need to take off the edge, the coarse, long head edges um, that are no good for yarn, so that's sort of around their chest area, around the, the bottom and their tummy and that, to get rid of all that rubbishy stuff. And then we clean all the vegetation out. Um, the vegetation will depend on what we've had in the paddock, how dense the fleece is. So the more dense the fleece is, the less vegetation will get into that fleece, which is what we want. So I've got one girl there who's got the most beautiful fine fleece, but it's not dense and it's an absolute, it just takes me days to get it all out. Because if you leave chunks of vegetation in, when it goes through the carter down at the mill, it's like two big wheels that roll together and crush, and they cut, it's, um, it's got little combs on these rollers, and they start combing the fleece out to get rid of the spinning. But they will crush any vegetation or seeds or anything in there and it will go right through the wall. So um, I obviously cleaned a fleece with my eyes closed once and it came, <laughs> came back absolutely riddled with, um, with vegetation. So I've just sat down and I've just, at night, I just pick it out because it's the most beautiful fleece and I'll nibble it myself. I, I can't sell it like that. But it was, it was just gorgeous. It was gorgeous fleece. But yeah, anyway, so we clean it and then I send it off down to the Miller Nature Hunger, to my lovely friends down there, and um, the first place they wash it out first and that gets rid of any other little bits that I've missed. And then it goes through the carding machine, which I told you about earlier, and it just starts combing it out, getting all the fibres aligned and um, ready to, to, for the next process, which is pin drafting. And the pin drafting machine, again, just starts combing it out even more and aligning the fibres and getting it ready for the spinner. So from what I have read and the little bit I've seen at the mill, it, goes, it can go through the pin drafter a number of times just to get it, um, all those fibres running in the same direction. And then it goes on to the spinner and that's where they um, choose what ply it, that they do the plying and all the rest of it. So twist, it twists that yarn. 
into the yarn that you know. And what sort of input do you have in what the yarn turns out like? Do you get to specify what they're oh, making? Absolutely. Yep, so we get to tell them what we want. So my the main thing I sell now, I used to have a lot of four ply and a lot of eight ply and a, a little bit of a of ten ply. Eight ply just seems to be what sells, what people love knitting with. I do have some four ply. Um, it is minimal at the moment, but I can always get, you know, if people want to order a certain amount, I can either source it from the mill. Um, if I don't have any ready, um, the mill people also breed their own alpacas and um, she's an ex-New Zealand judge, so her animals are beautiful, they're great quality. So if people are happy, if they want something I don't have and they're happy to buy from another alpaca farm, I can always source that too. Um, I've had a little bit of ten ply done, which I quite like doing scarves and things like that, but again there's not a lot of call for it. So. Um, I'm always happy for people to approach me and say, I, I really like some of this, can you do it? And I'll best to fill that. But most of it's eight-ply, and um, I've had some new patterns done by a lovely lady, Charmaine Connell, as you've probably seen, and they're all sort of based on 105-metre hanks, so that's my requirement now from the mill is 105-metre hanks in, in eight-ply. That's mainly what I get done. So when you say four-ply, eight-ply, and ten-ply, is that equivalent to a fingering and then a, a DK weight and an Aaron, yeah. or is it actually the plies in it? Um, it is the way it's the mill names it is DK is the eight ply, and then and, and yeah, and it's a, a stock or fingering, I think she calls it as well for the four, so it's kind of fine. Um, they do do it a little bit finer. I have had a sort of a two to three ply before, you know, um, as, again, I haven't had a lot of pull for it, but. People call for it, I will have it done. <laughs> so the yarn I used was your eight ply, which is That's quite right. a loosely spun two ply, isn't it? Um, it's quite a nice airy yarn, I found, yeah. to use. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah it does. sometimes the batches do differ a little. That's why I say to people, you know, if they're doing something like a jumper, um, I'll always say to them, buy a little bit more. I will buy it back off you if you don't use it. But I'd hate for them to not, you know, get to the end of the jumper and not have enough and then that batch is gone because the batches can be, I've had some that are a little bit more tightly tied before, some that are a bit looser, so yeah. um, they're, they're pretty consistent but they're just, you know, you cannot guarantee from batch to batch that it's going to be identical, so mm. always. That's quite nice in a way too, isn't it? it? Is. That, yeah, it mm. makes it really unique, it's, mm. that, you know, it's, it's all hand, hand done, it's a mini, little mini mill they've got down there and it's, it's great, I'm really happy with what they do. Mm. Yeah. yeah, we're lucky to have them in New Zealand because I know Australia are having real problems, aren't they, with their mills? We are really lucky. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, they're sending stuff over here to get milled. It's, Is that right? Mm, yeah, no, we are really, really lucky. Yeah. Oh, cool. So I know that something you've been really enjoying, which I'm keen to talk about, is your dyeing. Yes. So how did you <laughs> tell me about your dyeing and what you love about it? Yeah, I got into it about two or three months ago. Um, my mill lady had started dyeing some of her wool, and and I'd been buying some of that because I, I loved it and then um, she was running courses so I said right coming down and I eventually went down and did a course and I was just like oh, I love it. So I, I came home straight away and started gathering all the things for my setup and um, ordered some dyes in and got an old bathtub in and the rest of it and set up a drying rack and etc and I have just had so much fun since you know drop the kids at school in the morning take the dog for a run and come home and throw some wool in the bath to start taking. <laughs> Fantastic. And so I've got a quite a good stock of that at the moment, and, and people are loving it, which is good. Um, but it's just, it's the creativity you can have with it. It's just, 
no end to what you can do, you know, even colours that you can, and it's just experimenting with um, widths of, you know, when you're rainbow dyeing and you're painting in stripes, the widths of the colours and, um, and mixing the colours to make other colours and all the things you get. And it's, sort of, it's a bit harder to think, oh, if somebody wants that again, I've got to start taking photos of the before and you know so that I can recreate things. <laughs> I find that the hardest thing keeping the notes when I'm doing dyeing yeah, I just absolutely. If you get all carried away and mm. it's like oh I took photos of that one but is that, that one or that one? Oh whoops yeah, yeah. <laughs> what have I put in that? Yeah so, and so I do two different types I do pot dyeing where you um, boil it up in the pot um, I do a lot of my solid colours in that and, um, and then the rainbow dyeing will lay, um, just unwind the hanks and lay four hanks out flat onto the blade wrap and paint it in stripes of whatever colour, seal it all up and pop it in the microwave for about eight one minutes and it's great, works perfectly. <laughs> so you can have one in the pot, one in the microwave. And <laughs> Got a whole production line going yeah. on. Yeah. Uh, one night I had um, some big markets coming up, one night I had dinner in one pot and some dye in the other, some all in the other. <laughs> It's odd spaghetti, Mum. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, where can people find you and all your beautiful yarn? Um, obviously, online at my website, um, www.gumtreegully.co.nz. I have a Facebook page, Gumtree Gully Alpacas, and I go to Matakana Vintage Markets quite a bit. Um, out near the cinemas. So they're just north north of Auckland, aren't they? they uh, yeah, they're probably about um, 15 minutes from Auckland, where I am, um, out on the, the uh, Kind of Coast Trail out there now. So that's every Sunday right through to about at least Easter, they may go a little longer. Um, I'm there at least every second weekend, sometimes the in-between ones as well. Um, I'll be going out to Coatesville on the 20th of December for the Twilight Market, and I'm hoping to go, go monthly with that next year as well. Um, I also do the Auckland Fair, and I'm trying to set to Big Ones Mission Day Art and Craft Fair when that's on as well. So that's on 4th of February, I think it is next year. It's been, all this will be on my website. I always put my own dates up where I'll be. So mm. I try and stick to the bigger markets um, because it's a bit of a niche market. I tend to need the numbers to, uh, to make it worth being there. But I love it. I love meeting the people. And, Everybody coming up going, oh, it's so soft. <laughs> well, that's where I met you. I met you at Woolfest. Yeah, that's right, and yeah. Woolfest mm. is another one. And I'm going out to Fibrance um, too. Oh, um, neat. Four days, which will be interesting. That'll be fun. Yeah, yeah, that'll be fun. So, if people are overseas and they're desperate to get hold of some of your yarn, will you post it to them? I will, absolutely, not a problem. If they um, they can email me, let me know what they want, so I'll get it weighed up, get a postage cost, and I'm more than happy to post overseas, and I have done so before, so it's no problem. Mm. Yeah. Cool, yeah, they can have some beautiful New Zealand alpaca. They can, yeah, so I quite often have people um, buying things at my markets now, sending it off to America and England and things like that. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> Yeah. I heard recently actually that Quince and Co even use New Zealand alpaca in some of their yarn. Oh, okay. They can't source enough in America from what I understand and they're getting it from here. So it must be good stuff, mustn't it? It is good stuff. <laughs> yeah. well, we only we just use our top girls or our, our top alpacas for, for our yarn. Like when um, when we downsized I just kept my top six girls and um, just to want to keep the quality up there. Anybody who's not like Jim, dear old Jim, who's not good enough for the yarn, we've got to put into pillows and things like that. Yeah. Do you sell fleece for spinning as well? Um, yeah, I do carded fibre. Um, I, 
again, I haven't had a lot of call for it. I've had one or two ladies that have bought quite a bit. But yeah, I do. I will do carded fibre if anybody wants that in a particular colour. They just need to contact me and um, and I can get something done there. Yeah, yeah. That's really neat. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today. It was really great. I've absolutely loved working with your yarn and making my shawl pattern. It's lovely, and I hope to do some more later at some point. But uh, it was—I just find it so fascinating hearing about the alpacas, and I hope everyone else does too. So thank you so much. Mm. Not a problem. I was just going to say too, we welcome farm visits too. So if anyone wants to come out, feed the animals, bring the kids up, more than welcome to send us an email, and we can organise a time. Wasn't that interesting? I hope you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed speaking to Kathy. I just find it fascinating hearing about alpacas and their behaviour and how they, you look after them and process their fibre. It's endlessly interesting to me. You can find Kathy and her beautiful yarn and her alpaca, if you fancy buying one, on her website gumtreegully.co.nz. So she said she'll post yarn to you if you're overseas. You should try it. It's absolutely delicious. I love Gumtree Gully yarn. And you can catch up with Kathy at various markets around Auckland. So just check out her website for more details about that. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining me on this journey of podcasting this year. I have been so thrilled at the response. It is just mind-blowing. It's so weird that you like coming to listen for me but I'm really thrilled it's been fun I do love doing this and for those of you who have hung in through my change from video to audio thank you dearly I'm really pleased that you've hung in I'm really pleased to hear so many of you like this version better and that you're pleased to hear more of me so I want you all to have a nice happy calm rest of the year if you've got sunshine like me go out and enjoy it and if you haven't enjoy the twinkly lights and the warm fires and the hot chocolates and all the lovely things that winter brings, especially the knitting. I will be knitting, even though it's going to be hot. I'm going to sit next to the pool and watch the kids swim and knit the summer away. So I will see you in the new year sometime. I haven't decided exactly when, but watch this space. I will be back. Bye. Is it a scarf or is it half of a sweater? From what I've there's no excuse now not to be knitting Cause you can do it standing And you can do it sitting Is it a hat Or is it the start of a blanket Maybe a ball Or even a shawl for a baby There's no excuse now not to be knitting Cause you can do it standing And you can do it sitting For a teapot There's no excuse now Not to be knitting Cause you can do it standing And you can do it sitting Take out your